My name is Josh Peck, host of Peck Report on Daily Renegade. I used to suffer with chronic pain from a degenerative bone disease. I was hopelessly addicted to opioids without any end in sight. But then I discovered Kratom and CBD. I am no longer on prescription drugs and I have more energy and pain relief than ever before. Kratom and CBD have given me my life back without draining my bank account. If you too would like some minor to major pain relief, Kratom and CBD might be for you. Either click on the links in the description below this video or go to dailyrenegade.com on the top left banner or right side ad and check out Tropic Health Kratom and CBD. Use promo code HEALTH20 for 20% off your order and get your life back today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Peck Report. Thank you so much for joining me. I have a very special guest with me, one of my uh, one of my oldest friends, and actually my introduction into full-time ministry, everything that I'm doing now uh, is because of this guy. Uh, he is the author of the newest book, The Kingdom Priesthood. If you haven't had a chance to check this out, you absolutely should. Of course, we are talking about Dr. Michael Lake. Dr. Lake, how are you doing today? It's good to talk to you again. Great to be back with you, Josh. It seems like it's been forever. Yeah, yeah, it really has. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the show, and the last time that uh, we were able to really have a conversation together was back when um, we, Christina and I found out that our son Nathan it was diagnosed with cancer. We had just went to Memphis for his treatment, and uh, you and I had this interview on the books that you know I still wanted to do because everything was su thrown into such disarray. I wanted something kind of normal to, to still do. So we did that interview, and then a few months later, YouTube deleted it. So unfortunately, people won't be able to watch that. But the good thing is now we have DailyRenegade.com, and for the viewers, if this is your first time watching Peck Report or anything at Daily Renegade, uh, everything we do now is backed up on our website, Daily Renegade. Com. So if YouTube ever deletes uh, our videos, we still have access to them. And so uh, we're, we're grateful for that. But thank you so much for coming on and thank you for writing this book. I mean, um, I, I know there th th this has been kind of a long time coming for you because you, you have two books, two big releases before this um, that and it's it's a little confusing because I know this this book is the first in a series, but these other two books led up to this one. And I know, having read all, all of your work, um, I wouldn't say that you know if, if people haven't read the first two, 
it'll definitely help if they do, but I think you've written this one in a way where if I don't want people to feel intimidated, well, I'm not going to get this book because I have to read two other ones. Uh, if you get this book, you're going you're gonna to understand just fine. But just for kind of a background on, on what led you up to this book today, can you give us a little bit of background on the Shinar Directive and the Sherith Imperative and how that led up to uh, this book? Yeah, and you know, sometimes God works and you don't even know what he's doing as you're, you know, just operating in the kingdom. Uh, the Shiner Directive was basically to bring the body of Christ up to date. And in fact, the original title I wanted for it was Kingdom Intelligence Briefing. I did a podcast. Tom didn't like it. He said, no, we need something better. Shiner Directive really, really rang that bell. And so we went with that. But it's, it's really a Kingdom Intelligence Briefing. How, how the uh, mystery religions have been operating uh, since the time of Nimrod from a biblical point of view. And basically, it's it's almost like a panoramic view of how they've been operating, how that they have literally dumbed us down. Did you know that both the minister and the congregant uh, has about one-tenth the depth that they had in the previous century? Wow, I, I don't doubt it. And so they, they have been manipulating us, dumbing us down as they're also striving to move forward. All these different, uh, it's, it's almost like dealing with Hydra. You know, you cut one head off, more grow in. But there's almost like this octopus where you have all these different groups. And they're, they're in a sense, sometimes competing with one another. But at the same time, they have the same goal to get the world to the place that the son of perdition can be released. And once you read that book, you'll never watch TV or movies or anything else the same again. Uh, it, 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 in fact, you'll start, I had one guy email me and he said, you owe me a new TV because he said, after I read your book, I was listening to the evening news and threw my shoe at it and killed my TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They call it programming for a reason. (laughs) They do. Uh, and the second book, the, uh, Sherith Imperative is kind of the kingdom response. And I, I deal with almost like from a military point of view, there's two things. Anytime you're dealing with a foe. To really cripple them, you have to cripple their supply lines and cripple their communication lines. Well, we don't even know what the supply lines are for the kingdom of darkness. And so I go back and begin building the theological foundation, what happened in Genesis 3, and how that man was infused with the iniquity force. And it's almost uh, Matrix X in that um, our sin empowers the kingdom of darkness to destroy us. Mm. And what... but depowers them is revival. That's why they hate it so badly. And if you have something that's called revival and it's not squashing the power of sin in your area, it's not revival. And then it basically calls us back to basic things of devotion that we can do. At the same time, I just showed just how absolutely uh, devoted uh, those in the, in, the, in, in the mystery religions are not only to their task, but to make sure that they're moving at optimum levels, uh, whether it's, you know, doing yoga, meditation, all these different things. And you almost, you can go back and look at the women of real and everything that they were uh, involved in to hone their skills. Uh, Josh, some of that's creeping into the church, yoga and meditation and all these different things. That, that's essential for moving on the other side. Ours is prayer, meditating on the Word of God, fasting, all these things that basically the, the body of Christ has abandoned. And it's a, a call back to true spiritual devotion so that we can uh, be ready for what God wants to do next. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of that, too. And because of that, a lot of people, a lot of Christians are just kind of falling away from the church. Either they don't go to church because they can't 
stand the infiltration of the enemy and and in which case i would say it's probably best to you know not go to that and and maybe do home studies or something instead so there's there's people but but then a lot of them what i think that's a minority what happens to a lot of christians is is they they fall away from the faith which i think it's even worse than just falling away from you know a building called the church uh but falling away from the church the 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 body of believers our our faith in jesus i think a lot of a lot of christians are finding it easier to do that, but still call it Christianity. And so now we have this cultural Christianity where people don't have any kind of firm rooting uh, in, in faith in Jesus. It's more about where the culture is going. So you see liberalization of uh, churches, especially uh, in the West, but it's happening all over this country. And we're seeing the consequences of that now. When we strip out religion and belief systems, our country is uh, falling apart. So do you see this as um, as the kingdom of darkness, like infiltrating this country and the, and the world? And then if so, things are getting so bad so fast. What what hope do we have? The kingdom of God. Like what what can we do uh, to to get things back on track? Or or is it is it just is it just that we need to, <laughs> is it just that we need to focus uh, in our own individual walk? Or is is it more corporate? Or is it kind of both? Um, right now, America, you know, America at a time had divine protection from God, mm-hmm. and we've seen that lift. And it's, it's, I think, one of the reasons that God used Abraham so much as an example. Even the Apostle Paul, when he looked at you and I as Gentiles coming in, he went back, you know, because Abraham started as a Gentile. That became Hebrew because he crossed over out of Babylon. And the, the, the amazing thing is the transformation of Abram as he was walking with God, that halicha, that, that walk with God, has to be transformative. And it's personal. I can't walk for God for you. You can't walk with God for me. But as I do, he takes me from faith to faith and glory to glory. And that's that's a real part of our priesthood that we have never been taught. Uh, hell doesn't care what church you belong to. You know, hell doesn't even care how powerful your preacher is if you're not learning and growing and being transformed. And we, the pseudo-Christianity is just an, another version that is getting uh, adopted into the New Age movement. And uh, that's not by accident. All these things they have planned, they're pouring money into. They're making sure they get television time. Uh, it's hip, it's cool. Uh, you never hear those terms referred to about the Apostle Paul or Timothy. It, it wasn't, okay, the church grew because Paul was really hip and had these groovy church meetings. No, it was. Uh, the church is the ultimate counter culture. Uh, one of the things that I, I share in, in, the, in the kingdom priesthood is understanding the principality wars, that at, that, that the Tower of Babel, God divorced humanity and turned them over to 70 or 72, uh, depending upon whether you get into Kabbalah or not, uh, principalities that fell. Uh, Derek has done some wonderful research on that, and and he's pulling out stuff I can't find anywhere in my, you know, I tend to have a traditional theological library, that 70 was an ancient number, meaning all of them. Uh, So there were principalities and powers that fell at the Tower of Babel that uh, God turned humanity over to, but yet he began to extract. One guy says, you know, out of the midst of Babylon, I'm getting this guy named Abraham, and I'm going to make for me my own nation. Well, they're at war with God, and they control all the cultures, to include the culture in America. 
There are principalities and powers. And I think we're almost to the point, especially with all the rioting and everything, they're trying to foment another French revolution where Gregory's begin to take hold and be and were empowered by all the strife and the murder and the and the burning and the looting it almost becomes like a self they 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 take control of humanity when you look at the French Revolution the French people went mad for a season and when they woke up they ran into the hands of Napoleon okay are they trying to bring the world to this madness that horror so that they run into the arms of the son of perdition when he is revealed on the stage. And then looking at how the priesthood can begin depowering and postponing and tripping them up, hindering their work, that if that if we really get serious about our priesthood, which we have never been taught, and I, I kind of wonder if that's on purpose, that we actually can extend this, this what I call a temporal loop that God has given us of his grace uh, before the son of perdition is revealed for us to get our act together, we're not ready. Yeah, amen. And we, we see the effects of that um, all, all over. So when we talk about priesthood, you know, in our in our culture, a lot of people, when they hear that word, they think of an actual, like, Catholic priest or something. You know, that's like the only association a lot of people have with the word priest. But that, that word's found all throughout the Bible, and that's not what the Bible's talking about. So when you talk about uh, priesthood and that we need to, we need to like, relearn what that's all about, what what did the early church have in, in terms of this priesthood that we have lost or we've forgotten like what kind of things uh did they have that we don't today what do we need to know about what the priesthood is all about well the first thing they didn't have was the distraction of what the catholic priesthood is because it's more mystery religion than biblical that's right really helped a lot uh they they understood you when you when you look at the the priesthood uh in the old testament god had to break it in two so he had you had the koanim the sons of, of Aaron that ministered to God, and you had the Levites that ministered to the people. Okay? You have to put both of those together and then wrap them in the ministry of Jesus to understand our priesthood because he came as the high priest of the Melchizedekian priesthood, which uh, outdates the Aaronic priesthood. In fact, the Aaronic priesthood was plan B. Uh, when when you look at what God told Israel, he said, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. I want you to be a nation of priests. But they had that golden calf event. Okay. Moses goes up to this gone 40 days. Comes back. They've made a golden calf. Aaron's lion said they just threw all the golden fire and the calf jumped out. You know, uh, they were. They were, they were basically having an occult orgy, the things that they had seen down in Egypt they were doing around this golden calf. And the only tribe that resisted it were the Levites. And so God said, okay, the Levites did not participate, so now they can be my priests. So all the rest of Israel lost their priesthood. The only exception is if you had your firstborn and he was a son, if you didn't pay the ransom, then he would be brought into the Levitical order and could serve as a priest before God. But that was always God's plan B. That's why Peter, when he's, when he's talking to the church, he said, we're now a kingdom of priests again because it was restored through Messiah. That's amazing. Um, so like applying that today with the, and, and that's something that is, 
never taught like you i i've never heard anything like that in church and uh i now i hear it on your show quite a bit which you know even my and what's amazing about this even children can understand this i have pictures on facebook of my kids watching your show you know and and they love it they they get it and it was so funny how you just described the golden calf because it was just yesterday uh nathan came up to me so nathan's six years old and he's got his own Bible, and you know he he's he, he's got one that he, you know we didn't start him off with a King James because he's not. It's at this point it's almost like learning a different language to understand that. But we we have a, we gave him a Bible he can he can understand, and then we told him you know if you have any questions talk to us because you know not all translations have everything exactly right. Well, uh, so he 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 was uh, reading uh, Exodus. And just yesterday, he came up and he was talking about the golden calf because he asked he asked what it meant that uh, Jesus was just and the justifier in I believe it's Romans. Um, he was asking what that was about, and um, I was giving some examples. And then he he said, "Oh, like like the 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 golden calf and Aaron and Moses and all that." And he told me the story, and it was funny because just the way you described it was how he described it too. He was like, "Yeah, he was acting like the calf just popped out or something." And uh, <laughs> me and Christina were laughing when he when he was describing it to us because this kid's six years old and he's like absorbing it that much. This stuff is simple enough for children to be able to understand, but adults seem to grapple with it and i think it's because it's putting it into practice that uh, we've been so conditioned to follow the culture and to to make our lives more easy and convenient uh that something like you know entering into our priesthood in, in our own individual lives while ultimately it's better for us it's better for the church it, it strengthens our um relationship with jesus and all, all of this all of this benefit but putting it into day-to-day -day practice a lot of adults find difficult what are some practical steps that christians Christians can take now where they can start down this path uh, to, to start reclaiming their priesthood? I, I think it's two things because we're a priest, but we know when the Apostle Paul said, you're now the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're the tabernacle, Yeah, which means all the furniture of the tabernacle of Moses is built on the inside of you waiting for the fire of God. And man, when you start realizing that so that uh, you know, it's we we tend to be too Greco-Roman. It's we we don't segregate. Okay, this is something I do for God on the weekend, whether you're a Sabbath keeper or you go to church on Sunday. It's if it's the priesthood, it's what I do twenty four seven. It's three sixty five, and we we don't understand the fire of God. We th we think you know when you talk about the fire of God, you think of, of almost like a Pentecostal church with a scene out of the Blues Brothers, right? And we, we take that as the fire of God. That's not necessarily the fire of God. Sometimes I think it's strange fire in some cases. But in the, the outer court, the whole, the whole sanctification process where the Holy Spirit's working on you, and you have this pet sin that makes you feel good, and God is saying, you're going to have to bind that thing up, go and take it and put it on the brazen altar. The, the bronze represents judgment. It's only found in the outer court. Okay, you go to the labor and you're, they, they wash, which is the water of the word God shows you in his word. You know, Josh, Mike, you need to get rid of this. And you tie it up and the whole time it's saying, oh, you need me, you need me, you need me. And our job is we, we do not turn the brazen altar into a barbecue. 
Okay. I, I don't want my sin just to have a smoky flavor. Okay. I, I want it to be consumed by the fire of God until it's nothing but ash. And we, we're not taught that. We're not, we, we think that this little 30 second prayer, uh, sometimes sin and, and these things in our lives and, and our fleshly desires, they will kick, they will fight, they will scream. That, that's why you, there, there's horns on, on that altar for you to tie them bad boys down. And you sit there and you pray and you repent and you ask God to show you any open doors until that thing is completely consumed. Now, this is the neat part. Once you do that, you go back to the same labor to wash off any ash of any of that. But it also represents now the word is showing you who you are free of that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Until you get the fire properly used in the outer court, you can never have it activated in the holy place or the holy of holies. You have to do the work of sanctification of the outer court first. And so it's it's really all those things. We can not only see Jesus in every nut and bolt of the of the tabernacle, we can see us in our lives and the devotion that we're supposed to have to Almighty God. And, brother, you know, when you get into the, the holy place, that's the place of revelation. That's, that's the place where the, the fire of God moves to the menorah. But that will only light after you do the right work in the outer court. And we have a lot of people that never do their outer court work, but they're claiming to have light in the, in the holy place or within your soul because the outer court flesh holy place, soul, holy of holy spirit, okay? If you have any fire in there at all and you don't have fire in the outer court working it, then you have strange fire. Mm. And that's why we have so many prophets of Baal in the church that uh, that we can't tell the difference between the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Yahweh anymore in the body. Oh, yeah, big time. There, There's a huge uh, ignorance problem. And, you know, I've even come across this because there there, there have been times where with um, um, with with certain issues, it's like, well, you know, as of right now, I really don't know what to think. Now, that's usually typically with non-salvational stuff. But what's scary is I see some Christians taking that, you know, approach but with salvational issues, you know, when it comes to something salvational or that that's like, you know, intrinsic to our faith that, you know, these are one of the pillars you need to even have a relationship with Jesus, then it's not, well, you know, I don't know what to think. You know, you got your opinion. I got mine. We can come together and and love each other. And it, it's it, it's not the same thing. You know, we can we can lovingly talk about different rapture ideas or, you know, whatever. But but when it comes to actual like who Jesus is and that kind of stuff. I see more and more Christians are becoming you know, more confused about that, you know? Uh, and I, I think some of these other strange things like, like, you know, Mormon doctrines or Jehovah's witness doctrines or Catholic doctrines. Um, a lot of these are kind of creeping more new age, especially creeping into the church. And because the church hasn't been taught to recognize, you know, the, the fake from the real, they, they think, well, who, who am I to, you know, who, who am I to question it? Maybe it's real. They think they're being humble, but really they're being ignorant. And there's, there's a big difference there. I, I've been seeing a lot of that too. Uh, Mary, watch me. We'll have, we'll have the Christian television on. They'll bring on a prophet. And, uh, you know, this new deep revelation, and, and she's looking at me, and my hair is sticking straight up. My beard is, you know, it's like <laughs> like this. And I'm saying what that prophet just said actually violates the entire character of God revealed in all the word of God. They took things out of context. 
they, they try to use Hebrew or they try to use Greek, but they're not using their tenses and they're, they're misapplying the, and it's just like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you have to, you at least need to go through at least three or four systematic theologies before you're allowed to prophesy. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. That was something that early in my walk, uh, after I came out of New Age, um, it was funny, like the hyper charismatic stuff was sort of like my bridge back to sanity from New Age. Uh, and, but there was a little while where I tried going to, you know, some some more charismatic churches and I, I'm not bashing all charismatics or anything like that. I, you know, I totally believe that the gifts are for to, for today and all that. But uh, there are people that that abuse that fact and they'll they'll kind of just make stuff up and call it the Holy Spirit when it's not. But and I went I went to churches where that kind of thing was happening and I didn't know the difference. All I knew was, okay, they're saying something to me that something's going to happen. Uh, and with them, it was like healing was a big thing with me because I, got, I have this uh, rare bone disease. So I was, I was prophesied over about healing like so many times, and then it wouldn't happen. And then when I would come back and say, well, you know, how are you feeling, Josh? You know, they're expecting, oh, I think I'm feeling better, you know, so they can go home and sleep at night. But I, I'm not like that. <laughs> like, I just said, uh, it didn't work. You know, I would just tell them it, it didn't work. And they're like, well, you know, maybe you have a, maybe you have a faith problem or maybe it was, it was like, it was, it was blaming me. You know, it's like blame the victim for something. And what I, with, with that though, I found out I, I was so lacking in wisdom what it really was. I see it so perfectly now and it makes so much sense and I'm I'm actually thankful that God gave this to me because it's helped others. I, when I was when I was first starting in ministry and I, I I didn't know really what to do about this whole why am I not being healed thing but I wasn't really thinking about it. I knew if there was an issue it wasn't with God, it was with me and uh I was I was just fine just leaving it there. Um, but after I did my, my first like big interview, the, the topic of my bone disease came up because I had just gotten out of, uh, hip replacement surgery and the host was, I think it was Doug Hagman. He was talking about how like, wow, you know, you're doing this interview right after surgery. And I was like, well, I'm just laying here, not doing anything. So, uh, it's, it's all good for me. Um, but he was asking about, uh, my, my bone disease. And so I was talking about it and, um, after that, I don't even remember what the interview was about. I don't remember which book we were, what we were talking about. The, the response that I got was overwhelmingly, uh, in, in, in response to my comments about my chronic pain. Like that was ministering to people because they didn't feel like they were alone. They were seeing somebody on this, you know, this show that they really like and, and follow. And here's another chronic pain sufferer that deals with pain every day and he's doing ministry work and he doesn't blame God for it. And he, you know, he's just willing to say, well, you know, Lord's will be done. I, I got so much response from that. It clicked. And I, I, I thought, okay, now this makes sense, you know, because if I was healed when I thought I was going to be or, you know, when all those people were prophesying me, these people wouldn't have had the spiritual healing that they're experiencing now through my through my testimony. And if God can work in their lives in that way, then I'm you know, God doesn't need my permission for anything, but I'm okay with it. You know, if, if me dealing with the chronic pain means that other people can, can get some spiritual healing or benefit or, or grow closer to Jesus for it, then by all means, great. And, you know, I'll, I'll put a, and a cap on that by saying all glory goes to Jesus. I, I didn't have to know. The Lord blessed me with that, that knowledge. I didn't have to know. He didn't have to tell me that that's why he was doing it. He, he's fully within his rights to do whatever he he 
wants in my life. He created me. So I don't take any of the glory for that. That just shows how awesome Jesus is and how ignorant sometimes we can be. And so I think that when we, when we don't know something, obviously, you know, everybody knows, every Christian should know, the best thing is just to trust God. But saying that has become such a cliche that it's lost all meaning. Really, yeah. it's, it's, we have to just trust God when we don't know something. If some, if somebody sounds like they're coming up with a new gospel or a new Jesus or some weird new thing and we know it's wrong, we can't just have the attitude of, well, you know, who am I to say? I don't really know just because we can't explain why that's wrong. We have to say, you know what? I'm going to trust Jesus. That's wrong. I might not know today exactly why or be able to explain it, but I'm going to go do some study and then I'll be able to refute it better later. You know, I think that kind of attitude, but I think too many people are afraid of, uh, admitting they might be wrong on something or, or, you know, being proven wrong on something. I mean, is that, is that kind of what some of the spiritual blindness has come from? I think part of it, I think, you know, one of the things that you and I both have run into is when we're actually trying to describe the biblical Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, people uh, think it's foreign because it's not the Jesus that they have been preached. You know, what, what Jesus have you been preached? Was it the Malibu Barbie Jesus, you know, that that wear sandals on the beach and everything's just cool. You know, it's, it's okay. It's cool. We're, we're, we're good. Uh, is it the prosperity Jesus that he wears a, an Armani suit and that, you know, his, his job is to make everybody a billionaire because, you know, millionaires now kind of cliche because everybody's that, you know, we got to go for billions. Uh, or is it the Jesus of the Bible? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was, he was Yahweh Elohim come in the flesh. Amen. And you, you have to understand and here's one thing I have a hard time with, with people, too, disunderstanding. You only see in the Gospels one side of Jesus, okay? Uh, even in the name Yahweh Elohim, that, that actually encoded within that is Messiah ben Joseph, the suffering servant. We see that in the Gospels. Yahweh represents the mercy of God. Mm-hmm. which is almost counterintuitive to the way Christians treat, you know, Yahweh. Elohim represents the justice of God, which represents uh, Jesus coming back as Messiah ben David, the conquering king. That's why I call the fifth gospel the book of Revelation. Yes. You, you have to put both together to get a balanced understanding of who Almighty God is. Because Jesus, whether, in, in fact, I think, even encoded in yod heh vav is literally the God with the nailed hand shall be revealed twice. So it's it was Jesus that created it. Was, the Bible says everything that could be made was made by him. Okay? He's the one who molded Adam out of clay and breathed life into him. He's the one, after the crucifixion and resurrection, he's breathing the Holy Spirit back into his followers again, bringing them back to life. I mean, there, there, there is synergy. There is, there is this uh, balance in the Word of God. I'm, I'm trying to look for the word that you use in cinematography when you're, when you're writing a story. You know, there, there has to be that balance, this thread that goes through. Uh, it, it's all over the Word of God. Jesus is Yahweh Elohim. He has Old Testament, New Testament is the only noble aspect of the Father. He's yeah. the one who brought Pharaoh down. He's the one who parted the Red Sea. He's the one who caused David to kill giants. I mean, it's all of that was Jesus. He's the one that walked with Abram. And if he can take Abraham and can make him into Abraham, just think of what he can do if I give him half a chance 
to begin really walking with him and letting him, uh, and the, the, the God of the Bible is not like the, the idols of, of paganism. Almighty God is really rude. Did you know that? <laughs> I, heard, I, heard, I heard a world-famous theologian in, in a conference I was at in, in 1990 say, he says, the God of the Bible is rude. He says, you can't manipulate him. You can't bargain with him. He says, I'm God. Here's my standards. Deal with it. Yep. And he said, he goes, when you look at all the other gods on the planet, that's just rude. (laughs) He says, says, but you don't understand when you're completely right and you're infallible, it's okay to be rude. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You know, that's something that I think gets missed a lot, too, in a lot of churches. They uh, a lot of Christians and I used to have this, too. So, um, you know, when I when I criticize other Christians, I do it in love because all all of these all of these things that I say, I once had this this these things, too. So I'm in the same camp. Um, But I used to think of God as almost like a, a one-dimensional cartoon character. And I think a lot of people in the, in the world think of God that way, and they don't think of him as a complex person. You know, I mean, when you, you we, we, we always get into trouble when we think of other people that way. You know, they're, they're the other, they're the bad guys. You know, they're, they're the ones that are doing this one thing that we don't like, and then we don't take any consideration for the complexity of the human being. That's why, like, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, like, attacking ideas instead of attacking people, you know, because <laughs> an idea is just one thing. Uh, but a person's more complex. Well, God is infinite comp- complexity. So when you I have heard I've heard actual priests and past, pastors say that they don't understand the differ- why there's a difference between God in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New if they're supposed to be God and if there's uh this this you know trinity and stuff. And it's because you're only you're only looking at one aspect. Like my my well, I would never want to compare myself to God at all, but let, let, we'll use God as the example to be on the safe side. But God's ang- righteously angry self is different than his loving self, but it's still him. It's still like him, just like, you know, when when I'm... Um, when I'm disciplining my children to teach them to, you know, walk in the right ways or something, that's different than when we're we're you know, going out for ice cream or, or something, you know, you, but it's still, it's still me. It's still me as their dad. It's just, I, I've got different roles for different situations. Um, but when you read the old Testament, you actually do see a lot of love from the father there. I mean, oh, yeah. th- th- everybody, like a lot of atheists point to the Genesis six narrative. Um, the way that I see that God chased away all the monsters for his, his, children you know for for the actual when you actually read the story especially when you have the understanding of you know nephilim and all that stuff and genetic corruption and all this uh he 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 literally destroyed the world to protect his children i mean if that's not an act of love i don't know what is you know if there was if there was some monster in my house you know trying to go after my kids whether they're human being or not i'm going to get rid of the of the monster because i love my kids so what what a lot of atheists and and more more kind of susceptible or weak-minded christians see as just petty angry anger it's not that at all and it's 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 love but they're only seeing it from that one dimension of anger and they're not seeing God as more of a complex being. You know, he's not he's not a genie. He's he's an actual complex being. We're made in his image and even us as human beings are complex. So how much more complex is God going to be? But I think it's difficult because we've never been taught. It's difficult for Christians to to see their creator that way. Well, you know, the Bible says in the days of Noah and you know, when God acted, if Noah 
his children and the wives that they married were the only, very possibly the only genetically pure humans left on earth. We were, they were about to enter into a place that no human flesh would have survived. Right. Okay. You go back to the book of Revelation, those days shall be shortened in case there's, so it's the same thing all over again because we're going to see all this come back in. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we have, we are very, very limited in our understanding of God. And there are some aspects, I don't, I don't have to be linear completely in my understanding of him because that's, that's very Greco-Roman. The, the Semitic uh, mindset in which the Bible was written is called block logic. Mm-hmm. That you can have the sovereignty of God over here and the free will of man, and they're in, they're in perfect harmony with one another, but there's this gap in between, and that gap in between is the mystery of God. Uh, and, you know, Calvin and Arminius have been fighting about the, about all of this because, you know, Calvinists tended to be a, um, he was a micromanager, so we thought God micromanaged the universe. And then there's problems with him developing Calvinism that he actually pulled from concepts of the Nag Hammadi. Bad, <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that, Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we, we have been fighting about these things, not realizing the complexity uh, of, of setting everything back within a Hebraic context and learning that mindset and, and taking the time to learn the culture, to learn uh, the history and the language and all these different things to properly interpret the Word of God. Uh, we're reading it all like it was, you know, it came straight out of Cleveland, Tennessee or Springfield, Missouri. And, <laughs> and you know, Moses was a member of the Assemblies of God, you know. And, and of course, I'm not putting down any, uh, any denomination, but but we, we have this mindset instead of it being because uh, the Middle Eastern mindset is an Oriental mindset and taking the time to learn that so that we're properly interpreting Scripture and seeing how the, the, the dots connect in such harmony from Genesis to Revelation. You know, the Nakesh set a tree on fire and said, hey, come eat of this fruit, you know, because he was a dragon. He was a flaming serpent. And so when God sent Moses down, to uh, take care of one of the kingdoms that the knowledge of the Nechesh and the Watchers had done. He didn't need a tree. All he had to do was set a bush on fire. Okay, see, there's, there's synergy. Okay, there's, yeah, there's, there's yeah. interconnectivity. Moses went down and, and destroyed it. And then uh, I remember years ago, <clears throat> this decades ago, I was sitting in Germany, and we had some guys from the Way International that were there. And there, you know, the Bible says, Jesus died on a tree. It wasn't a cross. It was a tree. They don't understand that this whole thing began in a tree because the Nekesh was lifted up above the earth and gave this call to eat of this fruit. And God said, you started it in a tree. I'm going to end it in a tree. When Jesus was high and lifted up, he came with a different kind of fire that would draw them in unto him. And and you, you throughout the word of God, but you miss all the good stuff, man. And uh, sound bites are, the devil's not afraid of sound bites. What he's afraid of is a believer that is grounded in his priesthood, that has done the work of sanctification to where the devil doesn't have this big easy button on the side of you, so that when he comes up against you, the fire of God is in your eyes, that Jesus can pray through you and speak through you in those moments because you have become consecrated and armed to the teeth. Is, every, is everything the enemy has been afraid of. And that's the purpose of this book and the next one that I'm going to write, which I'm not even going to be able to start until I get this new complex built 
or remodel, which will probably take me till about the summer of next year. Uh, so I, I know we have time. I don't think God's having me do all this for America to end next week. Yeah. You know, God has a plan. And it's one of those things I don't understand. I'm just trusting in God, okay? And I'm, I'm along for the ride. And when he says turn right, I turn right. When he says turn left, I turn left. And when he says build this or write this, yes, sir. Even though that was the last thing on my mind, I'll go ahead and do it because obedience is better than sacrifice. Absolutely. Yeah, I like I like what you said that the the whole idea of getting away from soundbite theology I think is important because it's true when when we hear something that sounds really good in 10 seconds or less, you know, we we kind of invite that and put it into our hearts, but then it's really easy for the enemy to dismantle that. And and if we build our faith on that type of soundbite theology, it's easy for the whole thing to come crumbling down, and we see we see that so much uh, these days. And that's why I think this book is so important because we need to actually, you know, if if we're going to be serious about our faith and our relationship with Jesus, I mean, can you imagine what kind of marriage it would be if you only took your husband or wife and just little sound bites? You know, if you took your whole marriage and just little sound bites here and there, and then you didn't you didn't you just didn't deal with them for the rest of your you know the rest of your day, and just ignored your husband or wife. What well, that's kind of, a divorce. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And I think that's, you know, with people, with Christians treating God like that, it's like they, they treat, and maybe some, maybe maybe this is speaking to somebody because maybe they, they've been doing this without realizing they've been doing this. But but when you when you kind of ignore God, the, you know, you, you pray to him in the morning or before every meal, and then you just kind of go along your day and ignore him. Well, what kind of relationship with that? You know, Jesus is more than just our get out of hell free card. He's, he, he, he's somebody who wants a relationship with us. And without relationship, he could be, you, you could be one of those people that he says, you know, yeah, you did all this stuff, but I never knew you. And that's a horrifying place to be in because at that point it's too late. That's why I think this book is so important because it, it you know, this whole idea of priesthood, you, you got to be able to have a relationship with uh, Jesus to, to, to fulfill this, this priesthood idea. But that's what we're all cr- created for. Literally, we're all created to fulfill that role. And, and uh, you, you never know true freedom, um, especially from the bondages of this world and sin and all that. You never know true freedom until you find it in Jesus, because it's the only way to find it. Um, so again, this book, The Kingdom Priesthood, absolutely vital and important. Every Christian should go pick this up. Uh, where can they? Where, where can people find this book? Where can they get it? And then where can they follow you? What are, what are all your online things and uh, and your show? And and tell us everything. Yeah, the uh, Kingdom KingdomIntelligenceBriefing dot com is our kind of our main hub that we post everything. Uh, whether it's a new podcast or a new bio or a video teaching or we have a new book come out, uh, you can also subscribe right up on the right. It has a little thing said. You just put in your email address and subscribe. Uh, so the book is available for there. It's also available on Amazon. And uh, one of the reasons we, um, in fact, I, I did kind of a dual publishing. I've got 3,000 copies sitting over here we did through a traditional press. But I also made it available on Amazon because there, there's like 20 countries around the world that Amazon does direct on-demand printing in. So if you're sitting in Australia, you can actually order the book and pay local postage, which I'm really excited about. Uh, it just it just breaks my heart when I see somebody you know pay a $25 book and it costs $35 to get it there. Uh, it, it just it, it's just not right. And yeah. so the, we're we're able to do that. Uh, so whether it's on Amazon and guys, if you do get it on Amazon, read the book. And then consider posting a review. Just be honest and share what you've learned so that maybe you can encourage somebody else uh, with what you have heard out of the book. 
Excellent. Well, I'm going to ask Dr. Lake one more question, but if you want the answer to that question, because I'm curious what he's got coming up next. If you if you want to hear the answer to that question, you'll have to go to dailyrenegade.com, become a member today. Uh, if you're able to, that would be amazing. Uh, so go ahead and do that. So for people watching for free on YouTube and elsewhere, thank you so much for joining us. Members, hang on the line. Everybody else, take care and God bless.